bottoms up. This is the focus group. They're all business, except when they're not. It's the focus group with Tim Bennett and John Nash. Oh, everybody, and welcome to the focus group. Tim Bennett here, as always, with my good friend and co-host, Mr. John T. Nash. Thanks for joining us, as many of you have for the last 15 years, 14, 15 years. You, you, you changed that number. It was 2008, wasn't it? Nine was really probably. Yeah, eight, though. We were on XM. Oh, you're right. Eight was the Frau. And I know. The it's all very fuzzy, John. Very fuzzy math for you. <laughs> very difficult. So you and yeah. Someone else, one of our listeners, I think it was Bob, um, sent me a note. Say, is, it, is it 14 or 15? You and John go back and forth. That's, that's part of the shtick. Yeah, and but, speaking uh, of, of of longtime uh, viewers and listeners, uh, thank you, Paul and Mass, for your suggesting that I, your suggestion that I sit a little further back from the camera because Tim's like, yeah, you know, you're getting a little Kim Jong Ilish there. Yeah, you're right in there. Hello, hello. hello. <laughs> yeah, you can't say that anymore. The uh, so it's uh, we are the focus group. We're here every Wednesday. Our show releases at one p.m. East through our stream at uh, YouTube and uh, Facebook Live. And uh, you, but you can find us anywhere, whether you have Stitcher, iHeartRadio, or any of the other services, Spotify, Spotify, Android. Amazon, blah blah blah, Comcast. Even if you, you say yeah, yes, we'll come true. up. So uh, anyway, so thanks for joining us. We've got uh, as the show runs, we've got our caught my eye segment after John and I catch up on some banter, and then we have our sponsor, Deep Discount. It's Criterion Month, and John will explain that when we get to there because he has some. Uh, stay tuned because he's got some discs to give away with his game pick that flick we take a quick break we have our business birthday and then we have a shop talk which is related to dread or the lumping effect of if you have a goal and you have improved but you didn't hit the goal do you get discouraged or not i think that's my that's my cliff notes version of that (laughs) you know that's not a bad cliff note i i I like that I have a quick question for you, John. I, yes. So um, I went to the store to go looking for uh, three different places down here. The, I fi- I'm finding my breaking point with Delaware. Not a lot down here at the beach. So I went looking for thumbtacks. <laughs> now, I would have gone to a hardware store. Well, that was a mistake then, I guess. So I went to CVS first. Okay. Which they should have had them in the supply section. And stationary kids going back to school, right? The whole deal. So I, I asked the woman, and she looked at me. She said, to plug, in a, to plug in your electrical stuff? I said, no, no, no. A thumb tack, a push pin. Thumb tack or push pin? Yeah. She said, I've never heard of that. I said, it's a thumb tack. And some <laughs> old guy next to me starts giggling. He goes, ah, oh, these young kids. I said, a thumb tack, well, where would it be? She, so she is trying, she's confused as to where it would be. I said, well, usually it would be in stationary with staplers and yeah. you know, pens and pencils and tape. No, no, didn't, didn't have such a thing. So then I went to Bed Bath & Beyonce over there, Bed Bath & Beyond. <laughs> Same sort of thing. I asked somebody about thumbtacks. Like maybe they call them something different here. I don't know. But anyway, they didn't have them. And one older woman, though, behind the counter did laugh and says, no, we don't carry those. And then I had gone to a little stationary store in town, which I didn't expect would have them, but I thought while I'm here, I'll stop in. I got a parking spot. So I could not get thumbtacks. So I had to ask Richard to bring thumbtacks down from Philadelphia. Might be a business down here in Delaware. Do, do you guys have a Staples down there? We do, but you, you'd have a better chance getting into the Eiffel Tower on a best deal day than you would getting into the Staples here. <laughs> it's, it's a zoo. Where is it really? Oh my God. It's, 
you know, is all of Route One here, they've ruined the, the county. The county is actually the county county is absolutely ruined, Southern Delaware. So to try to do anything out on the highway out on Route One is just uh, six miles oh. is about forty five minutes. So you actually make your your store decisions based on left hand, right hand turns. Do you have to go out to the main road, right? Exactly. Or if uh, when we have company or something, I will go out uh, six seven thirty in the morning. Seven thirty is too late. But six thirty, seven o'clock at the grocery, and it's funny because all the locals are there running through before all the the Teresas come to shop. <laughs> so yeah, the grocery stores are open. So I will do that. But otherwise, if you have to go, when we first moved here, I didn't understand it because we were constantly going out to Lowe's or to Home Depot, and people were like, "You don't do that on you got to pick your times to do that." But you know, we needed things. So anyway, I, I just didn't think I didn't think a thumbtack would be so tough. No, no. You, you know, Tim, the minute you said it, I had a vision in my head of a little piece of cardboard mm-hmm. where the tax would be in rows. I think it used to be six or seven across and about 12 down. And then it was in plastic and would hang and you would mm-hmm. go and buy a bunch of thumbtacks and, right. and you would use those to hang up things on the cork board. Mm-hmm. or on a wall that like a soft like a plastic are you doing this for matt's art show yeah and i'm guessing that's why these things don't exist anymore right people use whiteboards or they use screens i don't know i'm wondering if the white i'm wondering if it's going the way of the rolodex you know you know i would like to propose that the focus group do an in-depth show on thumbtacks thumbtacks we could find out who manufactures it do you think there's a manufacturer in the united states oh yeah i'm sure of it well you know it could be the chinese I'm sure of it, though. I'm sure there's a thumbtack manufacturer. Or <laughs> even I'm the push later. pins I wanted, you know? Because well, they used pins. to come in white. They'd have a green top, a white top, a blue top. And, you know, that's when they got fancy. Usually they were just a white top or something. But I just thought I, I was so aggravated when I got home. Um, that and I had some woman in a Tesla riding my ass. I must slam the brakes on. Ever hit me, get a new car. She was a moron. You know, the, the problem with these electric cars is very quick. Yes, they are. The and, tour, uh, good right, and the owner, the owners get very um, impatient with the other cars. I should have sideswiped her. Anyway, she's going to think she's going to go around me. But uh, you know, that's um, we were visiting Bob's mom recently, and we drove her car, which she doesn't drive anymore. She has a Volvo sedan, and we drove that to a restaurant with her. And Bob was driving, and he's used to our VW wagon. I, <laughs> I did one of those things where I like I whiplash in the back seat. And and the Volvo has such a sensitive gas pedal. Right. I imagine the electrics are like that too. It depends on the car, right? Like the right. minute you hit that thing, it's off. Yeah. So anyway, well, so that was life down here. So Mr. Nash, without further ado, what caught your eye this week? What caught your eye? Here's what Tim and John found. Well, as we head into fall, um, summer is gone, but summer blockbuster movies, uh, where, where many of us remember as kids spending hours with buckets of popcorn and checking things out. And one of my favorites of all time, of course, was Star Wars. And I came across an article that, I've, that I was instantly fascinated by. And um, Mark Hamill has been posting on Twitter and Instagram pictures of some of the props that he accidentally kept. That's <laughs> funny. Some of the Star Wars movies. So... It says the headline reads, Mark Hamill has been gradually revealing all the props he's kept from Star Wars. He's been tweeting the props he permanently borrowed from the sets of various Star Wars movie when asked what the most valuable Star Wars related thing that's in his possession, of course, 
Mark Hamill wrote, my boots from the very first film. So through most of Star Wars, Luke has these kind of boot things that go up his calf. Uh, don't know their value because I'd never sell them. So then he begins to outline other things he's taken. And uh, if you're watching on uh, YouTube, I have a pic of a gr group of images, which are four things that he's taken. And the first one is the helmet, the stormtrooper helmet that he wore as a disguise when he was in the Death Star rescuing Princess Leia. He also took an Imperial officer's cap which he calls an imperial death star employee cap <laughs> it's like like a looks like a volkswagen workers cap yes it's black and it's very kind of severe and has a little silver thing on the front and then he took one pair of c-3po hands and one pair of c-3po feet for his son nathan and the picture that we show <laughs> is the little boy in these with the enormous hands and feet because it was these were what anthony daniels the actor who portrays c-3po would wear on set and uh, then he says, and one prop rubber frog from Return of the Jedi. Now, I, I looked this one up and I don't remember the, the creature's name, but this rubber prop that we're showing was sitting in a bowl of water next to that big, humongous slug, Jabba the Hutt. And at one point he picks this thing up and, and eats it or he plays like he eats it because Jabba was actually a puppet. Um, he doesn't have, and that was from Return of the Jedi. He doesn't have any props from The Empire Strikes Back, which kind of surprised me because it's my favorite movie of all time for the Star Wars series, um, besides memories of a fractured nose. <laughs> and he kept nothing from the new sequel movies, Force Awakens, The Last Jedi, and The, and the Rise of Skywalker. And the, article, the writer snarkily says, I get why Hamill wouldn't want anything from Episode Nine, which is The Rise of Skywalker, but he should have at least kept a Porg. And Porgs were in the new movies. They're these little bird things, whatever. But I know it's a simple caught my eye, but I thought it was kind of amusing because I've often wondered, Bob's asked me this too, like studios can't keep this stuff forever. And they're, they're props. They're meant to make a movie, right? But, so. but, but with something as valuable as Star Wars, I'm shocked. Maybe because he's a big star, they allowed him to take stuff. But I'm wondering if, if that's common, if people could just take things. I know they take wardrobe, but yes. I mean, these, are, these are costumes. These are, this is different, right? This is different than, oh, I, I'm, I'm going to take the denim jacket you had me wear. Well, okay, so you bring up a great point. Um, helmet, hat, and the C-3PO hands and feet, they had multiple, they cast those. So they right. actually had 50, 60, 70 Stormtrooper helmets. They had about 20 to 50 or 20 to 30 of those Imperial officer hats and probably about seven to eight sets of the C-3PO hands and feet. And actually, as each movie was made, they often redid the props, like the hands and the feet and the, and the Stormtrooper thing just to you know have fresh ones and they would tweak the design a little bit it's like darth vader's helmet if you look at the first movie star wars his helmet was sort of one way and it's shiny by right. the time they got to return of the jedi they had that thing nailed i mean it was perfectly sheened the whole bit so and you know i don't think lucas cared too much because again if you make 50 or 60 or 70 stormtrooper outfits eh, yeah. one helmet's not going to make too much of a difference right yeah i just think that the 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 franchise is so valuable now it is yeah that you would think that they keep that stuff now maybe, maybe that's why i couldn't take anything maybe things yeah. are under a little from more, the new one correct right, a little more lock and key so that's a good one mine of course could not be any different we had had a story a couple weeks ago about a a school i believe it was in alaska that had served kids um floor sealant as milk right as milk exactly and so this story popped up. The headline is a 93-year-old California assisted living resident died after she was served dishwashing liquid instead of juice. 
Oh, my God. So it says one woman died and two others were hospitalized after they were served dishwashing liquid instead of juice at their California assisted living facility last week. Police responded to the Atria Park, which is an assisted living facility in San Mateo, California, to where the residents were reportedly poisoned. Three residents were hospitalized after ingesting the, the toxic chemicals, and they said one of the residents, a 93-year-old woman, was pronounced dead at the scene um, on the way to the hospital. And so I, you know, I, to me, this whole thing sounds fishy. You know, my question would be, because this wasn't in the article, my question would be, how was the dish soap stored or packaged? How do you, we all know what dish soap looks like, whether it's something as blue as Dawn or it's as white as the ivory stuff or whatever. The consistency of that is nothing like juice. And so, to me, I find this all very suspect sometimes that uh, how do you pour three glasses of detergent and give it to people to drink? I don't know, but before you go further, let me tell you how stupid I am or or what I thought this was actually about. What did you think it was? You send the headline. So Tim sends me some pictures and a headline, and and the rest is a surprise for all of you and me too. And the headline said, bottoms up, enjoy this glass of Dawn. (laughs) So then he sends a picture of a nursing home at Dawn or Sunset. I thought it was Dawn. And above it is a picture of a a hand with a white glass, which I did not think anything was in the glass. And I thought, are people serving, like, have a a taste of the Dawn. The Dawn. (laughs) That was very nice of you. Nothing in the glass, but here's the Dawn. No, it's dishwashing detergent. How, you know, we use Dawn, by the way. And I'm looking at it right across from me, and it's on the sink. It's blue. I, I've seen the clear stuff, but right. not that often. Um, so how do you get this screwed up? Not only that, but when you pour that stuff, it's not. It's it's very thick. It's almost like it's yeah, a little bit it's frozen. So the, is the word right, we use. The, so the, the the word we use. So <laughs> I like that. <laughs> so the uh, you're right. So it's like oil almost. So how do you get that confused with juice? You don't. And so to me, these stories just seem to be. It's like all the Russians that seem to be falling out of windows. Did you see the latest one last week? The head of Luck Oil, who was against the war. Big oil oligarchs, right. who was critical. <laughs> oh, he fell out a window. A lot of, window, I, lot of window falling. Got to get the windows fixed in, in uh, Moscow. Mm-hmm. Bad hinges, bad glass over there in the Soviet Union, right? Yeah. So anyway, that was the... Uh, they, they, all the employees that were uh, involved were all suspended upon further investigation. I would hope... <laughs> I mean, it's just, um, it really is weird because it was two or three weeks ago that you did the floor sealant thing. Yeah. And I remember listening to the show after we recorded it and we, and we posted and I remember listening to it with Bob and Bob's like, I've smelled that stuff. Oh before. my God. It's horrible. It, 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 unless it was sitting open for hours and hours and every bit of odor evaporated, which is almost impossible. How would you not know? Yeah. No, it's crazy. Crazy, crazy, crazy. So those were our, those were our caught my eyes. As we mentioned at the uh, beginning of the show, Deep Discount's been a partner of ours here uh, on the Focus Group, and we appreciate you supporting them by going to focusgroupradio.com and clicking on the Deep Discount logo and start shopping away. The month of September, which we're in now, is Criterion Month, and uh, we were given a whole bunch of discs to give away, so we're reenacting or reinvigorating our Pick That Flick that many of you will remember from John's Pick That Flick on our old show. And John's going to take it away and uh, tell you how you can win a couple of these Criterion discs along the way. So take Thank it away, you, Mr. Tim. Next. Criterion Collection Month on the Focus Group is one of our favorite times because we get to give away a whole box of movies that was sent to me by 
Sarah from Criterion Collection. Thank you, Sarah. The only hint I will give to the gamer about to play is that the audio clues that I've selected come from movies that are currently in the Criterion Collection. Now, there's a lot in there, so <laughs> good luck with that. But anyway, uh, here's what we do. I'm going to play an audio clue from a movie. It's about 9 to 14 seconds long, roughly. If you know the name of the movie that this came from, send your guests to letters at focusgroupradio.com. That's letters at focusgroupradio.com. If it's an email that you don't use too often, you might want to include your mailing address if you win and I can't get in touch with you. I, could, I only use the addresses, by the way, to, to send the discs. But if it's one you use frequently, just send the guest and I'll let you know you won. You can always send me your address later. And if you're time shifting, as most of us do with our shows these days, um, don't hesitate to send a clue in. Uh, it, just because it's a week or two behind, don't think that everybody got it. Surprisingly, the game is harder than you think, and a lot of people don't get it. So without further ado, I'm going to play for you the clue for uh, this week. This is a, an audio clue. Again, if you know the name of the movie, just send us your guess. Well, what about it? This, the knife this fine, upright boy admitted buying the night of the killing. Let's talk about it. All right, let's talk about it. Let's get it in here and look at it. I'd like to see it again, Mr. Foreman. We all saw what it looks like. Why do we have to see it again? The gentleman has a right to see exhibits and evidence. All right, so uh, again, that's only hint. It's a movie that's in the Criterion Can Collection. Can you play it again? play it one more time. And if, as again, if you know the name of the movie this came from, drop your guess to letters at focusgroupradio.com. Here we go. Well, what about it? This... The knife this fine, upright boy admitted buying the night of the killing. Let's talk about it. All right, let's talk about it. Let's get it in here and look at it. I'd like to see it again, Mr. Foreman. We all saw what it looks like. Why do we have to see it again? The gentleman has a right to see exhibits and evidence. All right, there you go. So we want to thank uh, Deep Discount and Criterion Collection for allowing us to do the game this month. They have an incredible, Tim and I call the Criterion Collection the gold standard. You know, they rescan films, they clean up the audio. They drop an amazing extra bonus content, director's interviews. So there you go. So if you are just tuning in, which is unlikely if you're time shifting, letters at focusgroupradio.com with the name of the movie, if you know the name that that clue came from. We do have a, a new release this week, and that is a movie I had not heard of, but I really love the title. And I feel like this movie is from a different time almost. Um, it's called Mrs. Harris Goes to Paris on Blu-ray, and it's the humorously heartwarming tale about a London house cleaner, Ada Harris, played by Leslie Manville, who thinks her lonely life might turn around if she can become the owner of a Christian Dior gown. Saying goodbye to friends like Archie, Jason Isaacs won't be easy, and neither will be winning over elite people in Paris from Madame Colbert, Isabelle Huppert, to idealist accountant Andre Lucas Bravo, but Ada's irrepressible charm just might end up saving the whole house of dior in this uplifting story of how an ordinary woman becomes an extraordinary inspiration by daring to follow her dreams so mrs harris goes to paris and right. it's funny with movies sometimes things come under the radar i'm just i like the look of the packaging i like the idea of it and i think we're going to definitely i'm going to definitely pick it up but that is the uh, new release this week when i say when you do look at the packaging though i had to check the dates because it did look like i thought it was this old <laughs> It almost looks the like, the Mrs. like the Mrs. Maisels or something, you know. That. Yes, I, 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 it has that that feel. I had to look and I said, yeah, it's released in uh, 2022. It was, you know, a brand new movie. It's not a re-release or something. Original year, 2022. So, yeah, wow. Mrs. Harris goes to Paris. So, 
If you're late to this, rewind a bit. You could play uh, Pick That Flick and guess the uh, name of the movie based on the audio clue we played earlier. We want to thank everybody at Deep Discount, the Criterion Collection, for making Criterion Month possible. We are going to take a quick break. And when we return, we have a business birthday and a shop talk. So stay with us. You're listening to The Focus Group with Tim and John. Learn more at focusgroupradio.com. Now back to The Focus Group with Tim and John. Available pretty much everywhere. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to The Focus Group. Tim Bennett here, as always, with Mr. John T. Nash. And uh, thanks again to our friends at Deep Discount. It is Criterion Month, so uh, you get your uh, get your prizes. The um, We have a business birthday today, and this is another one, John, that I had to hunt down for, but I didn't know if you recognize this guy. So when we I love this it, one. I did not recognize it, and I love it, either. but go ahead. <laughs> sure. So let's, uh, let's head to our business birthday. Everyone does celebrity birthday greetings, but the Focus Group is the only show in the universe that celebrates business birthdays. So born September 7th, 1840, is uh, Luther Childs Crowell, C-R-O-W-E-L-L. He was an inventor, I guess is the best way of, of putting it. Uh, he died at the early age of 63 in 1903. And, uh, but he's known to have over 280 patents. And so he, um, he started off life very humbly, though, grew up in Cape Cod, very much a Cape Codder, as he called himself, he and his family. Uh, in West Dennis um, is where they were living for West some time. Dennis? Yeah. West Dennis and South Yarmouth is where his mom okay, and dad came so from. So it was Cape in Massachusetts, right? Yep. yep. Okay. So he said by the time he was 17, he had not completed any of the, or he had not only completed the courses of the local school, but also attended an academy. And he thought um, he was studying medicine and thought maybe he'd be a physician. But he also had a real uh, inkling and an an intense interest in aeronautics. So he had moved to Boston in 1862, and he worked on a patent for something called an aerial machine, A-E-R-I-A-L. Do you know what that is? An aerial? Machine. I had no idea what it was. I had to look it up. Okay. Do you know what it, do you have any idea, any thought, any guess? I, I, but it's an aerial. Was it possibly a helicopter or a yeah, plane? Yeah, how'd you know? You know, you know aerial, you're, 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 A-E-I. You're okay. like, you're, you're like, uh, what, what was that show? I've got a secret. Yeah, but Tim, I totally thought that your what's Dawn my line? Thing, what's my line? That's it. What's my yeah, line? I, I totally thought your Dawn thing was a glass of the Dawn, like an imaginary, have a great day. But it was I, I know, but so. this is funny because aerial. So he, he, um, he had devised this, uh, and he actually had a patent for it, but he devised this flying machine which did not have any wings and it just had two propellers that went opposite one another. And he thought it could lift and he had some backing of a number of investors, but they, the hot air balloons were coming out and the Zeppelins were coming out. Ah, Okay. And so there was far more interest in that than any sort of other uh, flying aircraft. So people um, got tired of waiting for him to uh, do whatever he was going to do with this aerial machine. And he lost all of his backing, all of his financial backing. Okay. Wow. So, but he did actually give a, have one of the earlier patents for what we now would know as, know of as a uh, helicopter. So he turned his attention to developing another idea he had, which was a suggestion for him uh, to do. And that was a machine to make paper bags. And he received a patent for that in uh, 1867. They said 
He devised the square bottom paper bag five years later after he did the regular paper bag. He did a, a square bottom paper bag, which is still universally used today. And it's the only machine currently still that still makes these is the one he you know, developed back in 1867. And uh, there were a number of companies that had infringed on his patent. And rather than getting into all kinds of arguments with them back and forth, uh, he had just ended up taking a buyout from all of them and guaranteed employment for as long as he wanted. So he well, made well, well, a they significant amount of money. Employment, right? Yeah, because they, so other companies, so as the pop, so that they said, you know, what had happened with um, the improvement of the paper bag. I, I, I laughed when I read this, but they essentially said that um, they were really credited with helping um, retail grow within the U.S. They said the flat bottom paper bag was the most effective innovation in speeding up American retail sales within a few years of its introduction. So they felt having this sack or bag, if somebody came into a store, um, easier to carry stuff, and so people would buy more, I guess, if they didn't bring their own bags. <laughs> so that's fascinating. Okay. Yeah, so yeah, it's funny how these things, you know, how these evolve, things um, yeah. Yeah, evolve. Exactly. So he, after he did the uh, paper bag, he also worked on a number of other paper folding uh, types of machinery, one of them actually for newspapers. So how, how newspaper sheets are folded and how mm -hmm. newspapers are folded up and delivered. He also invented that, uh, that machine, that mechanism. He, uh, as I said, had 280 different patents within the printing area. Uh, he was uh, one of them for printing on both sides, one of them for a rotary printing mechanism. One was a cutting and folding mechanism we talked about without tape. One was sheet piling. Another one was a machine for pasting labels on bottles. Yeah. And at the time of his death, he was working on a machine that would wrap and mail packages. So if you bought something, this machine, you would just put in the machine, it would wrap it and send it. And then he did have the helicopter uh, patent as well for the aerial machine. Um, so he was very much um, somebody, obviously, that liked to tinker. And to have 280 patents, I think that's just amazing. This is more than most people, obviously. Most people, probably more than 99.9% .9 of, of people. They said I don't he was, have one patent. No. Neither do you. <laughs> no, he said, and I don't plan to get one, I guess. They said yeah, he, well. he was a glorified Cape Cotter. He despised shams and expressed himself freely and fearlessly in all matters. So that's, that's what he's remembered for, the square bottom paper bag. Not a bad thing to remember, but... This helicopter thing, this aerial thing. Mm -hmm. So he was technically years ahead of like Sikorsky and all the others, right? Yeah, and he, and it's funny. So when you look at this um, machine he built, it, it's almost like a biplane, but there's no wings, and it has these inside propellers. Remember when you were a little kid and we had those things, those rockets? You would take the propeller yeah. and yeah. So it was almost that sort of. I'm, I'm not doing it perfect justice but if you remember one of those and you and say you would have two propellers on each end and so as as helicopters right the helicopters have the two mm -hmm. the two different propellers so the tail um, and then the one above the compartment yeah yeah so whatever patent he got it was uh, obviously being used but he never ever could get the financing or the funding to uh, continue working on the helicopter so that's why the uh, company he was working for that's why he um was doing all this paper paper improvements fascinating fascinating yeah and i often wonder about a lot of these because you know things that are just so obvious like putting a, a label on a you know on a bottle or putting something on a package i mean somebody had to invent yeah. that stuff right so or things like thumbtacks right the, 
<laughs> Sorry, if you're new to the show, go back. You're going to hear all about thumbtacks. Thumbtacks, you need thumbtacks. <laughs> so that was our that was our business birthday. On our um our shop talk, as uh as we mentioned right before our break, the um the headline is "Want to achieve your biggest long term goals." Science says avoid the dreaded negative lumping effect. And they gave a scenario or they gave an example of if you were in a company or you either put it on yourself as a goal or your team as a goal to increase sales by 70% in a particular time frame. And at the end of the time frame, you measure and say, oh, we've, we, we were only up 67%. And they said a lot of times 67 is not 70, so people would feel disappointed. Rather than celebrating the fact that actually 67 is a decent number, and even though you didn't hit the 70, people should be happy with the progress they made. But what ends up happening is people seem to get deflated and then they just um, view it as a failure. And so they call this the negative lumping effect, and, uh, which dismisses achievement when it falls short of a categorical reform, despite distinctions and improvement. And I, I was trying to think about this, and, and have you ever experienced this yourself, where you had a goal to say, I'm going to do A, B, and C, and maybe you only got A and B done, and were you defeated? Yeah, all the time. Uh, it, when I was younger, um, and I, I kind of said that that way because I've grown, I think I've grown smarter at adapt, goal adaptability. So another example they gave here was, let's say you wanted to save $1,000 in two months or three months, and you only hit 800 um, you know, you're going to feel like you failed. But the right. fact of the matter is if you turn around and look behind you, well, you didn't, you didn't get the 1000 you put the marker out there for, but you did save 800 Right. And that was something that they, they mentioned, I think it was like a two-sentence thing towards the end of the article, which I thought summed it up perfectly. Use your goals to inform your process. Use your goals to track your process and make smart course correction. And then, you know, looking back, your success is absolute. So looking forward, your failure is relative. Right. Like I had this goal in mind, I was going to save a thousand, but I only saved 800. But looking back, your success is absolute. You did something. You dramatically screw your business, or you dramatically saved, or you help seventy-nine million people learn how to read or write. So, or you I lost ten pounds instead of twenty. You still lost weight. Exactly, and in fact, that they 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 did give that example. They said, you know, some people say, "I want to lose ten pounds in a month," which is highly doable. It's doable, but let's say you hit eight or eight point five that you lost. That's still an amazing thing. Yeah. Um, you know, I think that in business, this is the far more insidious thing, when, especially when you have teams of people, right? You have groups of people who are like, we're all going to move the ball here. <laughs> and right. then they don't. And then there's the, the boss may not be happy or he may not care. He may be like, we did, we did a lot of great good. And in our personal lives, I think we set ourselves up for this kind of lumping effect all the time. Like, um, I'm going to clean, purge, clean, do all this in six hours. Four hours later, you're looking at a box of old letters and you didn't get anything done. <laughs> the lumping effect takes effect, right? You know, th th this reminded me of, there was a story and I thought of this um, example that I'm going to give. W one of my rowing coaches, he, he had coached, he had a very illustrious career of coaching um, college athletes, men and women, in rowing. And I said to him, I said, did you prefer coaching men or women? Interesting. I wonder why you and, asked that, by the way, but that's good. Were you just curious about the difference in, in gender? Well, because they're two different, um, I mean, for rowing teams, uh, I mean, there is a different, a different aspect to it, I think. And so he, without hesitation, said, I prefer coaching women. 
And I said, why? And he said, well, women enjoy the process more. He said they enjoy accomplishing something. Um, they enjoy all the, everything that goes with the sport, whether it's a camaraderie or it's hanging out with friends, it's doing whatever. He said, men just want to win and be first. Wait, he wait, said, repeat that. Men just he want said, to... men just want to win and be first. Okay. He said, so as a collective, he said, I would coach these women. And he said, he gave me this example. He said, I had a men's crew that was very good. He said, uh, they came in second uh, on the final race. And rather than celebrating the fact that they, that was quite an accomplishment, they took their medals off and all threw them in the river, dropped them in the river. <laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa. Because they Seriously? were mad. That, yeah, because they were mad they didn't get first. He said, on the other hand, he said, I had a women's crew. He said, they did not medal. He said, in the final race, they were five out of six boats. He said, it was a close race, but they were delighted. He said, they came in off the water. They thought it was a great row because they didn't win any medals, but they celebrated that they competed. They celebrated they were the friends. They were having a good time. It wasn't that wonderful, da-da-da-da. He says, there was a, there's a joy versus this angst between coaching women and coaching men. And I would observe that over the years, and I would watch. And it really was the women were so much more about the process and enjoying it versus the guys that had this kind of cutthroat um, urge to win. And uh, I, th I, th I thought it'd be something to, to look at. Is, you know, if I was doing a thesis of something of athletes, it would be something I would dig into and really study. But I did try to try to remember my own experiences and then watching this. And I really do think he was correct with that, that the women were far more um, realistic, like you said, about you're not going to you're not going to win all the time. Right. You know, you so shared something out. with me. One of our cross country trips, it might have been uh, when we were taking a beetle to for to Las Vegas or but you, you talked about your experience with with rowing. And with being on the team and you, you, you told me this whole story about how you guys used to have your coach used to have, were they inspirational speakers or sports yes. psychologists in? And the idea was to get into each athlete's head about like, why aren't you winning or why aren't you achieving? I was kind of fascinated by that. Yeah. She was a Hungarian woman. She was a sports psychologist and That's she it. was, she was, she worked for the East German. That's how long that was. <laughs> the East German um, athletic teams before the Olympics. And so she would take each of the teams through a scenario. And so we would, on Fridays before the races, we would get, she had this room prepared, this, and the room would go dark with lights, and she would have some sort of kind of the, you know, the humming music or whatever on. And then she would have the coxswains get up, and she would walk us through how the race was going to go against George. She said, who are you racing this weekend? We'd say, Georgetown. She has to say, okay, we're at the starting line. And she would say, now here's how this whole race is going to unfold. And I want you to think about this tomorrow. And I want it in your head. And she was doing this as an experiment for herself as well, because she'd done it with these high, high, um, you know, pro, pro athletes, pro athletes. And she thought, can I do it on a, on a college or a, a, a amateur level? And, you know, lo and behold, races that we probably should have never won, we won. Um, because she had talked us through, here's where you're going to make your sprint. Here's where you're going to raise the pressure. Here's where you're going. And walked us through the whole thing. And it was really a fascinating thing because at first you think it's, that's eh, crazy. And our coach was an old Air Force guy and we thought he would never go for this. He loved it. He'd get all, you know. He, really? Yeah. He, he thought it was the greatest thing. Maria Doros was her name. And I still remember her. But I do remember the, um, she said, a lot of this is in your mind. And you should walk yourself through things. It's like people tell you to walk yourself through a presentation. Yeah. Right. Well, you said, okay, here's how the presentation is <laughs> going to go. But different than you being smart enough to say, 
here's everything I need to do. It was almost because if you sit down and talk to somebody, you said, okay, John, here's how it's going to go tomorrow. You're going to arrive, you you know, and then it takes you through the, every step. Well, you've actually brought some of that to our business. Uh, Tim and I have had some interesting, by necessity, business conversations with uh, clients. Um, one in particular, w w the only time in my career where I ever had to involve a litigator and a lawyer, or even pitching a business uh, proposition, where I would be going through and I'd be doing my spiel, because Tim would say, you take the lead, I'm going to be taking notes, I'll jump in. And then out of, out of the blue, Tim would say, what do you think of uh, social media? Or what do you think of influencers? And it would, I would trip up and I would come up with all these crazy bullshit answers. And then Tim would just say, well, what if you just said social media is another way of reaching the consumer? It's another form of media. Influencers, or that whole thing is, uh, you know, what is it? Um, word of mouth marketing? Word of mouth marketing, yeah. That's all an and influencer also the, the, is, word of mouth. And it's also, we've had it in our culture for years. An athlete yeah. like, you know, Babe Ruth says, chew Wrigley Spearman gum. That's like an influencer, but it's yeah. that it's not on TikTok or something. So I think you probably got that from your corporate stuff because you also had some intriguing training. Uh, you did the Disney thing, everything taught, everything speaks. Yeah, everything right? speaks. The Disney school, I mean, I was fortunate that I did have a lot of that training. And a lot of it was so you could be kind of quick on your feet. feet. Certainly. 15 years of you and I, or 14 years, or whatever, <laughs> of you and I doing this show have also... Um, oh, boy. <laughs> help, helps that as well. Certainly, we're far more comfortable than we were, obviously, in the I very told beginning. a story recently to a friend of mine about the guest we had on. I got a PR pitch about an ad exec who wrote a book about his, his son who had passed away, but he made the son like a secret agent or something. I thought, oh, it's interesting, advertising. Guy <laughs> comes in, and it was the top of the hour when we were on Sirius, and we had a five-minute break of news that we could and i went to the bathroom one I of the few back. times you ever went to the bathroom because i always did i should have yeah just it was one of the few times up. right so you never I had to go i would always run run to the bathroom and tim's chair was in this position in the outq studio that he saw everything including the door opening and he and he's just sitting i had never seen him sit directly away from the mic facing the door just stares at me <laughs> neutral face <laughs> totally neutral and i'm like something's going on i sit down we start talking Getting any information out of this guy, this guest of ours who wrote the book, was kind of like opening a can opener with a thumbtack. <laughs> Let's use the thumbtack. Um, it was the most torturous interview. He leaves. I think Katie might have been our producer at the time, or Sweet yeah. Caroline. And, and uh, one of them, they're like, wow, guys, you did a great job. That was really hard. And then we go to break. And I said, and Tim goes, you have no, when you laugh, here's what happened. <laughs> I start talking to him and he says he has some kind of a condition where he doesn't like being asked direct questions. Yeah, it's on the spectrum. I don't like, I don't like being asked direct questions. You're here for an interview. Where's your publicist? The problem with Sirius <laughs> XM with some of those was that we, you had to fill the time. You couldn't just, so be, because of the way it was, you had to fill that time, right? We yeah. couldn't, now, now if we had something bad, we could either cut it out or, or move around yeah. or edit. You can do that when you were live like that. We had a few of those those crazy. Or, or uh, you know, we had guests who were equally fantastic. Ron Reagan Jr. Yeah. West Coast time. He's everything set up. The PR department sets it all up. It's a Saturday. They get him on the phone. It's clear that he literally woke up, like just woke up to answer the phone. They're like, by the way, you have this interview. Like a champ, though, he hopped on the mic and gave a fantastic interview. Yeah, a Unlike problem. other people we'd call sometimes, like, no, we're not doing it, click. Yeah. My favorite was the woman who came in 
again, pushed by the publicist to come in and talk about Super Bowl advertising. I remember this. And the Super Bowl was just over, right? And we said, what, are, what, what ads did you like? I didn't watch them. <laughs> you just wrote a book. I didn't, she didn't you watch looked at one. me, I was like, why are we even doing this interview? Why aren't you and I writing books about this shit? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I just laughed. I, I couldn't believe that one. That was when we, we cut that one short. Oh, we had enough to yes, talk about. Yes. We could have moved on. I mean, then, she lost all credibility. The, then there are the uh, the the misfires, um, and this is I don't know how this what how this relates to the lumping effect. Well, we're moving on. <laughs> yeah, we're, we moved on. Yeah, okay. But remember, remember the Wilton Manor Pride down in Lauderdale. Oh my God! But did we ever salvage a show? We did. We did. Okay. We salvaged one hour of interviews <laughs> backed up by a repeat of something else. But they started serving us Long Island iced teas in a drag queen dress as Lucille Ball. In a storm. And a, and a hurricane. A hurricane came through. And yeah. the kid from Cupcake in a little cupcake outfit. <sighs> cupcake wines. Yeah. I, I, I would like to find that interview again. I think he was I have funny. pictures from that. And we went back to the place we were staying and uh, we ordered Oof. pizza and Tim was like, we were playing music. The next morning, Tim, you turned on the stereo in your room, which was left at the volume it was on the <laughs> night before. It almost shattered And it was glass. not loud enough for us that yeah. night. You were doing <laughs> your gold frap. I've got a rocket. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I you know, the funny it. thing about that could have been one of those weekends where we, that, that would have been another one where if somebody had come with a camera with us, they just wouldn't have believed it. Mm -hmm. The guy who picked us up forgot we were coming. Hey, um, going the wrong the way, way home. home. Somebody was shocked that he was even able to have the capacity to pick us up and was, remember how big his eyes got? He picked you up? <laughs> it wasn't seemed to be in any shape when I saw him, you know, two hours ago. Yeah. No, he it was... pulled up in some Cadillac car. We're driving away from the airport. And I'd only been to Lauderdale once or twice. And I said, is this the way to uh I don't Lauderdale? think this is right. You're like, I don't think this is right. He drove over the median. He, yeah. he just did a hard left. <laughs> ba -boom, ba -boom. <laughs> Tim's in the backseat being thrown around like a rag doll. Yeah. Remember, you couldn't even get out of the car. He parked so uh, close to, to the, the dumpster. <laughs> That you couldn't even get out. And then we never saw him again. He was supposed to be nope. hosting us for the weekend. Never saw him. Nope. That was it. Have a good weekend. Just as well. Yeah, that was... <laughs> those shows happen. Those shows... That, well, you kind of <laughs> knew. Like, some of the remotes... Well, that you, one I knew was... I don't we, like remotes. No, no. Well, we had You like them. Ones. You do like them. I, you like... You, I don't... Yeah, but we've, we've had good ones. We've had bad ones. More bad than good. Anyway, folks, we want to thank you for joining us. Welcome to September, and welcome to the official beginning of fall. Again, I want to remind you that it's Criterion Month here on the Focus Group. We want to thank Deep Discount and Criterion. And by the way, there is a new release, and it's called Mrs. Harris Goes to Paris. And you can find that by going to our site, focusgroupradio.com, and clicking on the Deep Discount logo and starting your shopping spree. If you want to play the game, pick that flick, rewind, bloop, <laughs> to the uh, deep discount segment, and you'll hear the audio clue. If you know the name of the movie that came from, drop me a line at letters at focusgroupradio.com, and if you win, you're going to get a Criterion movie. So we would like to remind you to not text and drive, arrive alive. Thank you for spending time with us here on the Focus Group. Check out TFG Unbuttoned on Tuesdays. And everybody, have a great week. We'll see you in the new one. It's The Focus Group with Tim Bennett and John Nash. Accessible on all platforms. Subscribe, like, and rate us on your platform of choice. Learn more at focusgroupradio.com. That was a stunning focus group.